We homeschool to give our children the best of everything, faith, values, education, opportunity. And it's quite an adventure, but the work is hard, and sometimes we forget to be joyful. Today's guest is Marine and homeschooling veteran Teresa Hansen, here to remind us to keep the joy front and center. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and we're talking today with Teresa Hansen about the need to keep the joy front and center in our homeschools. Teresa Hansen is wife to Eric and a mother of seven children ages 14 to 26. Teresa and Eric met at the Ohio State University in the NROTC program. They were both marine options and were both deployed in support of operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Teresa also deployed to Somalia in support of Operation Restore. Hope. Teresa says, I truly enjoyed being an active duty Marine, but after having our second child, I had no desire to deploy and leave our children. So while I do believe that becoming a Marine is a calling, I also believe that for me, motherhood was a higher calling. I, we didn't decide to homeschool right away. In fact, I tried to discourage one of my friends. <laughs> As our family grew, we kept having homeschooled families put in our path. Maybe you're having the same experience. So we embraced the chaos and joined the homeschooling ranks. We have employed a few family mottos over the years. First was embrace the chaos. Then came forced family fun, acronym FFF, <laughs> followed by Hansen's help. Romans 12, 12 reminds us, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Welcome back, Teresa. Uh, it's so good to see you. Um, just for anyone who didn't hear Teresa's previous episode, number 80, Car Schooling, My Joyful Journey. Um, Teresa is someone I've known for many years, and she's really someone in our homeschool network, which is a very large one on Long Island in New York. Um, as somebody you can go to for advice and always a friendly smile, a hug, just such a, a great person and sort of one of our key people, I would say, for setting the tone for a great network. Um, so, Teresa, with everything that you've experienced and you've, you're well into raising your children, my goodness, probably not too many years from an empty nest at this point. Why is it important for us to keep the joy front and center? Well, there's lots of reasons, but um, the two that come up for me most often is uh, one of the things I always pray for, especially during the transfiguration, when I'm doing that, meditating on that mystery, is I want to be the light of Christ to others. And I want my children to be the light of Christ to others. If they can't see our light, can they find Christ in us? So I want people to be able to find Christ in us. The other thing is, if we are um, having drudgery, if we're living in drudgery, how are we showing joy? What are our kids going to see? Uh, if, if we aren't joyful and we're saying this is horrible, that's all they're going to pick up on. And you want them to pick up on joy and on wanting to love learning and Love life, not like, oh, I'm sacrificing for you. So, <laughs> I mean, occasionally I do say that. I'm sacrificing for you. But, um, I'm so know, glad to hear that because I've certainly said that. <laughs> Don't you see what I've done for you? Um, but for the most part, we want to be joyful so they can see that we do love them and love learning and um, everything about life could be a joy. So, 
Yeah. That's amazing to be joyful. <laughs> and maybe it's a good idea before we go any further, Teresa, and I know I'm throwing you a little bit of a curveball, but we, we, I think we need to make a distinction between um, cheerful and joyful. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, what do we really mean by joy? Just say what do you mean words. like, yay, I'm a cheerleader. Come on, let's talk. I was a cheerleader one time. But um, yeah, that's not what I mean. I mean, uh, just like if I have to do the dishes or clean up poop or do something like that, I'm not going to be sitting here and be like, ah, I'm just going to do it and do it with a joyful heart. Um, how do I explain that better? Just, uh, I'm not going to complain about everything. I'm not going to complain. I have, I have one friend I do complain to a lot. I think everyone needs one of those to bounce things yeah. off of. But otherwise, I do try to just to be joyful, to to um, just do the chore. Like if the kids did do the key litter very well when they were little, they weren't very good at their jobs, I would just go and do it after them. And I do remember the first time when I was in kindergarten, I realized my mom rewashed the dishes that I washed. I was like, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, I used to think I was helping so much, but then one time I saw her rewashing dishes. So it's just, you know. They don't need to see all those things. They just, they need to see, you just do it. <laughs> just get it done, do it joyfully. Hmm. The, the, the expression, a willing spirit comes to mind. Yes. Yeah. All right. So what are some typical joy killers for homeschoolers? We're trying, maybe we even went to mass this morning or we had the <laughs> holy music on, or maybe we were, you know, using our essential oils, trying to cheer ourselves up. <laughs> What are some things that tend to bring us down? Yes. For me, it's cleaning. <laughs> so I know for some people, cleaning is their joy. For me, cleaning is not my joy. So that's one of the things that's a joy killer for me is when we get our chores done. Um, and that's sometimes as our report card as well. I just want to share a little something here. So in the Marine Corps, we have fitness reports. And then like once a quarter or once a year, you would get reviewed and they go through your whole report with you, give you your pointers, what you need to work on, that kind of thing. Like just a, like a report, like a report card. So um, when, when the kids were all, when we had just the five little kids, they were all little then and we had five, uh, Eric would come home from work and he'd walk in and he would see like this disaster of the house, you know, books here, everything out, just, you know, like every toy in the house could be out and the look at his face be my report card. He'd be like, oh, <gasps> you know, I had to preface this with saying Eric grew up in a house with two children, five years apart, minimalist mother, everything super clean. I grew up youngest of five, um, you know, six years apart. <laughs> so, so our house was a little more chaotic growing up. So um, we have a little different style of of, of cleaning. <laughs> of so that would be my report card when he came in. And then the other thing would be like your report card would be um, if your kid doesn't do well on a, on, a, on a standardized test, you're like, oh, no, that's my report card. And it took me a while and Eric together talking about things that, wait, this is not my report card. This is not how I'm valued. Um, but that would be a big joy killer for me is thinking that I have failed. Uh, it, when I failed in being a housekeeper, being a good homemaker, failed in my child, you know, didn't get an A on their test, whatever the thing is, but that is not my report card. That is not who I am. The most important thing I should be focusing on is the character of my children, not, you know, how they did in this, but their character. And I was just sitting outside actually yesterday on the front porch with one of my girlfriends. I was tutoring her boys um, in, in grammar. And uh, 
we were sitting out there talking about things that were ups and downs and some things that were stressing us out, you know, it's, it's parent things like her mother has dementia. My mother had a minor stroke. We were just talking about those things that have been stressful. And the thing that was, we came back to was our children's response to things. So like my 22 year old just had just come off of his internship in New Jersey. He was back home. He didn't go to work for a week because I needed to go to Ohio to take care of my mom. And my husband was in a different part of Ohio taking care of his dad. So he took a week off of work, paid work, to take care of his little sisters, to drive them to, we had soccer tryouts going on, we had um, babysitting jobs that they had to get to. And so he just took off work for that week so that he could take care of the family. And the fact that he did that willingly, I didn't have to say, please, can you? And then my newly married son goes, I'll pick up from this. You know, everyone was able to help out. They were just so willing. Like the character, I think, is the most important, not whether they got straight A's on a test or, you know, in class. If I had to break a little bit, they did get really good grades too. <laughs> most of the time. Not always. Not always. But, um, you know, just the character, I think, is the most important thing. And if you have a joyful heart and you're doing things joyfully, that can reflect on them. Like, I think some of my favorite memories are of the kids, you know, doing things together. Um, they actually made the front page of the paper one time. It's a picture of Hank. He's 25. And Helen, she's 19. They were, we were leaving the football field and Helen's probably two. And she had her Cinderella dress on that she wore every day. And it was sunset. And Hank must have been like in seventh grade or probably seventh or eighth grade. And he has his helmet in one hand and her hand in his other. And they're walking off and the photographer got it from the back. It's just a beautiful sunset picture of a brother holding his little sister's hand walking off the field. It was just so sweet. And then like one other favorite memory is um, Hollis. He's, he was in eighth grade at the time and his four little sisters just wanted to do tea parties with him and do things with him. And so like he did that. That was more important to me at that moment, um, making a memory with his sisters and, and really connecting with them than doing his math. Uh, so that's like, sometimes you have to look at those, the big picture and remember you're forming their character first. Yeah. What I love about both of those examples or all three of those examples, the football field, the, your son's being willing to help is that Hanson's help motto. I mean, you really <laughs> did you and, and Eric have a way of crystallizing it into an idea, like a really captivating idea and repeating it. And of course your example, the two of you are very can do people. And, uh, and you've really passed that along to your kids with gorgeous memories and, and pictures, you know, and so beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, so housework and things like that or the report cards can bring us down. So when those things are going wrong, when things aren't picture perfect and beautiful, what are some strategies for just keeping that joy in focus? Sometimes there's some tears first. But um, <laughs> uh, I know that like when we're overstressed, one of the things that used to cause trouble for Eric and I is um, I would be, he would, so I'm like the house is a disaster. You know, the hurricane has hit and I'm making dinner that time of night when kids are just kind of, when they're young, they're kind of whiny and crazy. And he would walk in the door from work and I'm like, set the table, pick up your toys. And they don't respond to me right away. Eric would be trying to help me. And he would um, enforce things. He'd walk in and his first thing would be, 
are you not listening to your mother? You need to do this right away. And then we would have these punishments, um, like no TV for a month, like, no this, no that. And then, and these uh, punishments punished me, <laughs> they punished <laughs> the kids. So like if you tell a mom who's got you know five small children, they can't watch a video while I'm trying to make dinner. That's really going to hurt me, but it's going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had this kind of this thing called a court of appeals. So this is our family, uh, our family court of appeals. And what it is, is they can't appeal to us in the moment because everyone's heated, but they can come to us, you know, 15 minutes later, an hour later and ask for an appeal. And the appeal is just not like, hey, I want an appeal. I don't want such a big punishment. The appeal is they have to have um, all the... Uh, mitigating circumstances and so these are like words that our you know six-year-old could do like because we yeah. always use these kind of words with them so it. they would have to come up and sometimes their siblings would help you know like you need to ask for an appeal you need to say this this and this like how it wasn't completely their fault that they were doing it but then they had to help with their little brother or sister um they weren't ignoring mom they were doing something you know they just they had to tell us all the mitigating circumstances and then eric and i could overturn the punishment or we could lessen it or could let stand, but it was an opportunity for us when we have overcorrected or overpunished to, um, so we say his face on both parts, you know, the parents say face and the kids say face. So oh. it's, it's actually, it was a good program for us, the um, Court of Appeals. And uh, it just, it was very, very helpful. Wow, so the I other thing it. is, yeah, it's just, a, it's a good It's thing. really cool because it teaches them so many things. They start advocating for each other, like helping yes. each other, understanding the system, that there's recourse, you know, that they're not going to despair if the hammer comes down in a heated moment. And it helps them to understand their own human nature as well, because they're seeing you and Eric modeling, okay, let's reconsider we were all in the heat of the moment. Let's look at this rationally. It's just such a beautiful thing on so many levels. I love the lessons that are woven into it. <laughs> Thanks. Our other thing we used to do was, let's say it is um, a difficult time and the child is just super difficult. Uh, so I know one time, one of the things we did was like, we have that family movie night on occasion. Well, probably we used to it once a week. So family movie night and we'd have dessert. So what we did was the, one of the kids was just not complying, not doing their work, not doing whatever. So we picked their favorite movie and their favorite dessert. And I served it that night. And we weren't going to have family movie night that night, but we did it that night so they could be excluded. I know it sounds horribly mean, but they had to see that there was a punishment that, you know, for them. So we picked their favorite movie, their favorite dessert, and they were excluded from it. They knew that we were all having that and they had to go in in a different room. They couldn't be with us. And that was really, really hard. But my point is, if you give them an appropriate punishment or appropriate chore to do and they don't complete it, you have to follow through on what you said. So yeah, there is a court of appeals, but if you say that, um, you know, we're not going to be able to go to your friend's house unless you make up, make your bed, put away your shoes and put all your school books away, then you have to wait. And sometimes it's painful because everyone has to wait. And we have been late for things because people didn't finish their chores. It's not just because I'm always late. That happens a lot too, but because we put a, parameter there saying you have to do this first before we can do that and so sometimes we make extra things like the extra dessert extra movie night just to exclude someone so they could learn a lesson and 
It just sounds mm-hmm. really mean I say it out loud. <laughs> Except that it isn't because life does have real consequences. And, and if we let kids skate all the time, they don't go into the world ready to expect consequences. I remember once when my daughter was only four, um, but she was just being, you know, really rough. You know, it was just, we were just having a rough day. And so I forget what it was that I withheld. I think it was probably just reading a book to her. We used to read stacks of stories at night. She was such a story hog. And I think things had gotten so bad and so disrespectful for whatever reason. I know four is really young and I was a little over the top with my one and only having a child late. So I admit that I was harsher than I probably should have been. But I took away story time, but I stayed with her. And I was rubbing her back as she was crying because there was no story until she fell asleep. I stayed with her. But she had to have that consequence. And she was a little angel for like weeks afterwards. So that consequence, as hard as that was for both of us, it was agony, um, really did make a difference in her self-awareness and her ability to control herself. And so, but I told that to another mom, one of these permissive moms at the nursery school, and she literally went, you know, like, like your child cried herself to sleep. And I was like, I was right there with her. But people can be shocked sometimes when we actually let our children experience suffering as a result of of their own behavior. We call it natural consequences. Um, We call it easy lessons and hard lessons. So sometimes your lesson's easy, it's not very painful. Sometimes it's a hard lesson. And those hard lessons the kids remember, and they don't make those mistakes again. So it's just a natural consequence. If if that's what happens, that's what happens. So I'd rather have the hard lessons happen in the home where we can protect them. It happened out in the real world where, you know, they're just at the, there's no one there to help them or protect them. Yeah. Make, the le- make the mistake here so you can learn from it. Yeah. But one of the things I do, like when these things are happening, how I recover myself, is it is hard. Especially, I mean, I remember back when you have all those little kids and everyone wants your attention. Everyone wants to touch you. It's, it can be overwhelming. Um, what I used to do is we had a, a big yard in one of the houses we lived in on base and I would throw all the kids outside. I'd put the two youngest in the stroller if it was nap time. And I would just walk my yard, literally walk a path around my yard. Just and no one could talk to me. That was the rule. You can't talk to me. You can't ask me any questions. You have to play it by yourself. And um, and I would just, I would pray, do a lot of praying. Um, I prayed during that time. And um, it just really, it would give me some, some calmness. I really, because for me, for me to regroup, I really like to just be alone. Um, usually on a walk. So even till today, like I always like to walk the dog or just go, I don't have a dog right now, no. or just go for a walk on my own. But the walk is what really, that's my prayer time. That's it's my me time. So that's what I do. And also I would take time after all the kids went to bed. And even after my husband went to bed, I would just sit, sit quietly, maybe pick an old movie that I knew the ending to, something that really brought, that I really enjoyed and just be alone for an hour on the couch with no one touching me except for maybe the nurse and baby. But that was, that was like my regroup time. Um, we also did do daily mass a lot more when they were little. I think I had a lot more control when they were all little. So we would all go to daily mass. There's always one old person there who just loves to have you there and will sit with you and would like to help you. So I just look for that kindred spirit. And, and that was how I regained my joy. So mm. a little bit of me time. And uh, a little God time. So 
Oh, it's so perfect. And, and I'm, as, as a strength coach, I'm always listening for how God has wired people. And your alone time to reboot, I mean, a lot of moms get touched out by the end of the day. They don't want anyone touching them because, like you said, they've been touched all day long. Um, so that's, that's almost like standard. But there's also that, um, that need to just be one-on-one with God or one-on-one with like a beautiful experience, your, your favorite movie or whatever it is, or walking, getting into your own body, having a little physical autonomy so that you're not being dragged in this direction or that direction. It's, a, it's a really good to look at that what are my needs? What does refresh me? And that's a lesson for the children too. Even if they don't see it, you're in a better place. You're more you authentically showing up and being present if you've taken that time to regroup and to know yourself. Mm, so wise. Yeah. I think one of the other things I have to remember is um, a lot of the things I'm doing, I can't just do it for me and for, for, for myself. I have to do it for others. I do much better and I'm much more joy-filled if I'm not doing things to make myself feel better. I'm doing things to make others feel better. Uh, if I'm welcoming someone, it's um, this past year with all the things with uh, COVID and with um, the mandates, I've had more people reach out to me and say, hey, can I give your number to someone for homeschooling? And I have truly loved it. And actually there's a woman from Michigan, this is actually one of my high school girlfriends. It's a friend of hers who's a grandma who's gonna be homeschooling her kids. And she just called me, we talked on Saturday for probably back an hour you know, good 45 minutes and she's going to be on Long Island in two weeks. And she's like, can I come by? I'm like, sure. <laughs> so just, wow. this is the kind of things that bring me joy is actually helping others. And um, that's how also how I can like refill my cup. Uh, and one of the things I have found that is if I do things just for myself or for my own glory, it always backfires on me. Um, I'll just share a quick story. Uh, sure. Please we, do. We were living in Hawaii and um, my kids were eight and under. Um, I was the hospitality coordinator at the church. I was a catechist. Um, my kids all helped with, you know, one of them was an altar server. That's what the oldest one was. And then we um, we all helped out with the donuts on, you know, after mass and coffee and juice and drinks. All the kids were like there to, to help, right? So when you left the parish, this is a military parish, when you left the parish, if you were one of those people that were, you know, part of the Helping part of the parish, you would get a holy coconut. So the holy coconut is really <laughs> just a coconut with the, the holy family carved into it, like a nativity scene. Oh, I love nativity nice. scenes. It's like one of my favorite that like, we have all over our house for Christmas. But um, I was so excited about getting my holy, my holy coconut. And the last week you're you're there before you um, go on to your next duty station, Father invites your whole family up and makes a big deal about it. You get your holy coconut and everyone claps for you. It's pretty awesome. Well, I kept waiting, and Father didn't call us up. Like, we didn't get called up before Mass. Oh, he must be waiting until after Mass. He didn't call us up after Mass. I'm like, huh, maybe he's going to do it at the Welcome Center. <laughs> no, nothing. I got I got no holy coconut. So uh, a couple of days, like the next day or whatever, I was talking to Father. I'm like, hey, um, uh, we're going to miss you. We're leaving um, in a couple of days. And, he, and I was like, waiting for him to just give me my holy coconut. And he never did. He goes, oh, we're going to miss you. I would have known. We would have known the holy coconut. 
<laughs> that was it. That like, here's one for you anyway. It was just, um, <laughs> it was kind of like heartbreaking. But it was a good thing for me because I realized that I was doing it for the Holy Coconut. I wasn't doing it for God's glory. I was like, yeah, we're going to get invited up front. We're going to make it. But um, <laughs> so that was, <laughs> it's just, I remember that I'm doing things for God's greater glory. Then, uh, then things used to go much better. They really, really do. Like before I speak to one of my kids about something that's going to be a tough situation, you know, like, God, please give me the words. I mean, like, just keep asking, keep asking God and do things for his glory and not for your mm. own. It does help. <laughs> it does help. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And it, it it's so liberating, too. And it's a process, right? We're not always going to remember to keep our head in the right place. But just having those little experiences of experiencing the benefit of the right attitude helps us more and more to be detached to use a spiritual term you know to not be so attached to things that they're dragging us down and keeping us from growing absolutely absolutely yeah. which is a great segue into what are some of the benefits that you see from just practicing the joy and the joyful attitude in your home i i think it just makes me better all around um I love welcoming people. I love it when people come to our house. I mean, I, I, I'm not the best uh, homemaker, um, cleanliness-wise. I don't, you know, I'm not a big, there's stuff laying around in our house. Um, but because I don't worry about that part of it so much, I have no problem welcoming somebody into my home, even if it's not perfect. I think that's a big part of it, not being perfect. Uh, I just, my day goes well. I'm happy to be up in the morning. I'm happy to go to bed at night. You know, like, I don't even mind doing kitty litter. You know, I just like, I just feel good about things. If I can just give it to God, it's just, I'm, I'm happier. I just think, um, you know, when God throws a curb at me or I need to learn a, learn from a situation, I just keep putting that joy first. It just really, I don't know. I just I feel closer to God. I feel closer. I have a better prayer life than I used to have. The more I put joy first and put God first, just... I'm just happy, <laughs> you know, mm. even if things are not going well, I, I, it's a really hard one to just explain. I, like my mom, like I said, she, she'd had um, a heart catheterization. She has a lot of uh, problems, uh, physical problems uh, some from a, a previous heart surgery. And so this was a big deal. So I went home for it. Then she got a hematoma and then she spent her night in the hospital. And then she has a stroke right after that. And even through all that, and caring for her and working with my siblings, getting COVID, uh, all that stuff was, it was all just, I found joy in everything. I found joy in hanging out in my bedroom. That was kind of nice um, for a week without anybody bothering me, without any responsibilities. So just like, it was just joy in everything. And even in my, in my quarantine, when everyone went to bed, I came downstairs and put all the dirty dishes in the dishwasher, or, you know, put the laundry or something, but, um, which was I was still quarantined when I was around. But just, um, <laughs> I can find joy in all those things. I, I found joy in caring for my mom. I found joy in, in my drive. I don't mind driving, you know, eight, nine hours to get back to my family in Ohio. So I don't know how to explain that any better. It's just that I'm happy. I'm happy in the things that are hard, and I'm happy in things that are joyful. Just, I got like a peace about me. I always like that's the Blessed Mother, put her mantle around me. 
no matter what's swirling around me, what storms are coming, I feel like she's always there with me, just always protecting me. Very centered. Oh, yeah. yeah, and you've touched on a few things, I think, that are really important to point out. And one is that when we practice joy, right, it's that old thing of people used to say practice makes perfect, but practice makes permanent is closer to the truth because of the neuroplasticity of our brains. Our brains actually wire and make it easier and easier to do the things that we practice. Um, that's just how God has made us. And so here you keep practicing this can-do attitude, this willing spirit, and it's there for you in those moments when life is difficult. The other point that I think is really important is that you were talking about things being hard and yet the joy still being there. And I think that that's where we can draw the distinction between I'm just being cheery cheerleader and there's something that abides with me. A deep connected place, that peace, that sense of being enveloped in Our Lady's mantle that comes with that growing closer to the Lord with spiritual maturity. You also said that you could see um, things to be joyful about, even in the hard things. And that's spiritual maturity. That's the way God fine-tunes our sight. We can see more and more His presence, His glory, the beauty, even in the hard things as we go. So what you're describing is just, it's almost like a little mini treatise for each of us that these are the benefits. We actually do grow and change with this practice. And as you said, not every day goes really well, but... No. But it, but it gets more and more kind of a permanent disposition as we practice. Well, I thought of something else that helps me with my, keep my joy when, when things are going crazy with the family is ask for help. That's a big <laughs> one. Ask for help. Yeah. Ask your husband for help. Um, talk to him about what's bothering you. That's a big thing, communication. And you had said something about your daughter and, and uh, you know, with, withholding reading for her when she was four. That was my punishment for my oldest, was uh, for my Hannah. I'm like, uh, you have no library book privileges. That's a big, everything in our house was a privilege. I mean, that's, I should point that out too. Um, we take away privileges. So that was, that was how we work on one of our punishments. So for example, in a military base, if you live on a military base, everyone has to wear a helmet. You're riding a scooter, a skateboard, a tricycle, a bicycle, adults, everyone has to wear a helmet. So if our kids were disobeying, they would lose helmet privileges. They have to go outside and play anyway. All the neighborhood kids will be on their scooters and their bikes, but they can't go on theirs because they have no helmet privileges. And if you happen to get on your bike without your helmet on, the MPs would go by, they would confiscate your bike, and you had to go with your parents to retrieve it from the police department. So it was a big deal. So no one did things without their helmet privileges. And we also had furniture privileges. So, you know, when your kids are bouncing off the walls and bouncing on your furniture, you know, things were really tight when we were first married. And the fact that they were going to jump on my couch, like, no way. So we had furniture privileges. You would lose your furniture privileges. You couldn't sit on the furniture. If it's dinner time and you stood in your chair, you would like to stand, you'd lose your furniture privileges. You have to stand on the floor. So, I mean, like, everything was a privilege. So, you know, you're part of our family. It's a privilege. So, <laughs> that was a big thing. So I was going to say for Hannah, with the reading, besides taking her books away, she also would pre-read for me. If I didn't, um, I used to pre-read for her until, like, third grade, then, I couldn't keep up with her reading. So she would pre-read books for the kids, her brothers and sisters, and she'd recommend books. <laughs> and like, she's, you know, 10, recommending <laughs> books for them. And Aww. she was great at it. And she still does it. I mean, to this, she still goes, oh, this is a great book for you, mom. Oh, this is a great. And she knows exactly what book would fit each of us. So it's, it's a gift she has. 
So use your children's gifts. If they have a gift that can help you, use it. So that saved me a lot of time at night, pre-reading books for my kids. She would just read it, let me know what was a good choice for them. And it's just, it's just kind of a, don't be afraid to ask for help. That's, like, I think, a big important thing because a lot of times we get so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't reach out for help. Will that help be um, a phone call to a friend or, or maybe hiring someone to come in? Um, I'm starting to tutor people now, and, it's, and I can see the benefit to the families. It's just like that one less stress, especially when it's math, one less stress to worry about. Just ask for help. It's okay. Mm, yeah, I love that because it takes humility to ask for help. We have to kind of pause in our wild race to do it all. And, and, and underneath it all, even though we're being heroic and selfless, there can be a little pride there. Like I can do it all or I'm supposed to do it all. Or, Everything depends on me. And so disengaging from that, that need to be, you know, always in control of everything and let a child experience being needed and being a part of something and, and serving so young. I read in uh, one of these kind of researchy journalistic books about depression, that in small societies like villages and, you know, less developed places in the world where everybody has a job and they're interdependent, everybody's needed in some way. This one makes the butter and that one grows the weed or whatever, you know, just to be oversimplistic. There's depression is unheard of because everyone has a role and everyone's necessary. And so it's just really interesting to then look at our families and think, when I invite someone in to help me, that gets ignited in them, that I am needed, I can serve. It's just great mm -hmm. on both sides. Excuse me. Yeah. I think yeah. sometimes we also think that um, asking for, uh, you, you know, when your children want to help you, sometimes in the moment, it just takes so much longer the first time they help you, they're maybe to the 10th time they help you. But if you take the time to train them to help you, then it'll, in the long run, it'll be, it'll be a good thing. Like, for example, like when your three-year-old wants to help you in the kitchen, it takes longer and it's a mess. It's bigger. But by the time they're five, they can actually do a lot of stuff in the kitchen. You'd be amazed what they can do just if you let them help. And that's just... You know, I have some kids who always want to be in the kitchen, some kids who never want to be in the kitchen. But if you let them find the thing that they're really good at and you teach them, then they will be helpful when they're like six and seven. So, yeah. you know, your six and seven year old can change diapers. So if they really they want to help, let them. Mm. Let them help. And that's the big thing is that we gotta let them help too. That's and <laughs> have to remind yourself that when your kids are young, and even when they're old, this is I have teenagers and it's still loud. Um, it's going to be loud. It's going to be loud in your house. It's going to be singing. It's going to be dancing. It's going to be joyful. I think one of the things that we sometimes forget is that kids are loud. <laughs> so <laughs> it's okay if they're loud. It's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think it's really important to um, remember that they are kids and they should run right outside and they should be loud. And, <laughs> That's not an unusual thing. I always try to make a point of going up to people at mass with, with young children and say, thank you so much for bringing your kids because, you know, they're, it's hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just loud. Yeah, I do the same thing. A couple of times I've turned around after I've had a rambunctious toddler in the pew behind me the whole mass. 
And I've just said to the young mom, thank you for bringing your baby to mass. It's such a joy to hear the sounds of a young child. Um, and, did, you know, when Jesus was doing the Sermon on the Mount and there were thousands of people, do we really think it was quiet? There were children. There were people. It wasn't quiet. Um, and and a couple of times when I've spoken to young moms, they've they've started to cry because people gave them dirty looks or whatever. And they really need to hear it. They need the encouragement. Absolutely. That's my new thing. If I see someone's hair that I like, because I know them or not, I really like your hair. Just like, you know, people could use a positive compliment. So that's my new thing. If I, if I see something I like, I'm just going to say it. I'm over 50. People think I'm crazy anyway. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> it brings me joy to bring others joy. Yeah, that's a nice thing about getting older, actually, is that we can be maternal with strangers and somehow it's more acceptable. <laughs> yeah, so so tell us, you know, you're you're going around spreading the love. Who inspired you along the way? <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. Um, <laughs> my mom and dad have always been helpers, so that's the helping part. They've always been helpers. They help people all the time. So that was a good example. But I think when it comes to homeschooling, it was um, some friends we made in Virginia and some friends we made in Hawaii. So actually one of my fellow Marines, Bryn Cook, uh, I remember we were both in the Marine Corps together. We were both pregnant, we're like six weeks apart. And she goes, I'm getting out, I'm gonna homeschool my kids. This was her third child. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> I didn't so mean to homeschool your kids. And she goes, no, I think it's what I need to do. And so I was pregnant with our second. I'm like, well, I'm not getting out. I love the Marine Corps. And then, you know, right after giving birth, I don't want to be here. I don't want to deploy. I don't want to go away. Aww. So just everything changed once you, you know, have kids. So I always say that, I always call her and say like, oh, so what are you doing now? So I don't want to be doing it in five years. Because so, <laughs> I'm like five years behind her all through this whole journey. And they end up being godparents for our second child. Aww. And then the other people are like, I would have to say probably Karen Clemente from Virginia. I met her, um, we had had two kids and I was pregnant with my third and she was pregnant with her like six, but her oldest was 13 and, and mine was four. And I loved the way her kids interacted. They would be helpful and joyful and just, you know, meeting your needs, helping out strangers, you know, just a really fun family. And I'm like, I'm going to be like them someday. And then she homeschooled. And we've actually stayed in contact this whole time um, for 20 some years I've known her um, and I actually was at Virginia last time I went and visited her too. So it was kind of a cool thing. And then also uh, one of my neighbors in Virginia, Margaret Williamson, she, we had kids the same age and she's the one who's like kept talking about homeschooling because she was going to do it. And I kept telling her she was crazy. And then um, uh, right before we left Virginia, we decided to homeschool. We moved to Hawaii and she was like, she just, She's just been like, we're on the same path together and our kids are the same ages and, you know, we've miscarried. She's had more sadly, but I mean, like all those things were together. She's been like my, on my journey the whole way. So just looking to her and she's very faith filled. So she's been really a, truly a blessing on my journey and just how she handled different situations. And I think one of the person was, um, there's two other families that were homeschooling and they had older kids. And one of them said, they, I can't remember if it was Robin or if it was, um, oh, the other mom, I can't remember her name right now, just lost me. But they said, 
remember at the time I had a three-year-old. My oldest was three and she had a five-year-old. She goes, oh, don't worry. My five-year-old will watch her. I'm thinking to myself, your five-year-old's going to watch my three-year-old on the swing set while we talk about homeschooling? Crazy people. <laughs> but now I completely get it because once you have a five-year-old, they're like, oh, yeah, they're so mature. Go ahead and watch her. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. But the, the way they just were relaxed about things and how they made everything organic. So they'd be like, well, you're not going to sit in a classroom. We're going to go outside that your classroom. We're going to go find some bugs. We're going to go do this. And we're going to sit in a blanket, a picnic blanket. We're going to draw pictures from outside. They just showed me that uh, school is not, you know, in a box. School is is life and doing everything around us. And and uh, I'm pointing to the trees outside. And just going outside <laughs> and being with nature. Oh, like one of the things we did, uh, this is like one of my favorite things. So I just had a baby and my mom was going to be coming soon to New Jersey. Um, and I needed the kids, kids, kids occupied for a little while, do some science. So I got these posters in the mail of tree bark and tree leaves and how to identify trees. We love duct tape in our house. Duct tape is used for everything. So I gave the kids a couple rolls of duct tape. They went outside. They put duct tape around the trees and I gave them Sharpies. I know it's dangerous, but they were outside. I gave them Sharpies and they wrote what they thought the bark and leaf matched up to and they wrote it on there. So when grandma came, she could check their work because my mom like knows everything when it comes to nature. She knows trees, plants, she knows it. But now I have a picture of this app, so I know everything now too. But um, <laughs> apps the best. But yeah, so we just, I mean, it just to be more organic. And I learned that from these ladies in Virginia. This, and they actually all live very close to each other right now. They all live in the same neighborhood. It's awesome. Because so I go to visit, I can see everybody. Wow. But it's just, just, it's just a great thing is like be outside and be in nature. This is God's beautiful handiwork. Let's learn about it. But I love the, you know, the duct tape and the writing the names of the trees on the duct tape. <laughs> I so, love it. And who thinks of nervous. that? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's making me think differently just imagining doing that with the kids. It's so smart <laughs> and so much fun. It's so tactical, tactile, not tactical. Yeah, yes. But, uh, you know, and there have been studies done that the more time we spend outdoors, the higher our IQs are like people actually test higher on IQ tests when they've been outside for a while. So this idea that learning all has to be like, as you said, in a box just isn't correct. Some of it happens in the house and yes, with the yes. textbooks and all of that. But striking that balance just really re-energizes everybody and, and refreshes them. Any final thoughts to leave us with, Teresa? Just enjoy your children. I mean, they're a blessing. Uh, find the joy in them. And give yourself a break once in a while, you know? You're doing a great job. Everyone's working so hard. Just uh, love your husband, love your children. Do the best you can be. Yeah, love it. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Teresa. It's always a joy to be with you. That joy <laughs> is so contagious. Uh, so thank you and would love to have you back again. Uh, we always learn so much from you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And please stay tuned for our short feature. Thank you coming right up. Welcome to the Thriving Catholic Homeschool Blueprint. This is video two in my three-part series. I know busy homeschool life personally, so I broke this series up into three bite-sized chunks. Let's begin with a prayer. 
This is St. Teresa's bookmark. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Let nothing disturb you, nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Nothing is wanting to him who possesses God. God alone suffices. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. My name is Paula Siskanik. I'm the co-founder of the Catholic Homeschool Network conferences and community. Now, if you're just curious about homeschooling, maybe you've recently transitioned from pandemic schooling or a homeschool veteran like me, you've come to the right place to create a homeschool plan that really works and is tailored to the uniqueness of your family. I've been a 25-year, well-seasoned uh, homeschool parent who has launched my seven children into the world from my very real and not perfect homeschool. I'm now a grandma of three little ones and awaiting the birth of three more for my three married children. But it seems like yesterday that they were all sitting around my dining room table each day as we thrived in our homeschool life. Now, I first of all want to thank everybody who has sent me messages and comments, and I read every single one of them, and I am just wowed by your response and very humbled. Thank you, thank you. Keep them coming. In the first video, we talked about the foundation step, step one, to thrive in your homeschool, which is getting crystal clear on your educational goals for your children, your why you homeschool. Now, if you've not had a chance to listen to that video, go ahead, hit pause, and go watch that video now. It should be on the same page, video one. And when you're done, I want you to write down on your calendar the day that you and your husband are going to sit together and do the homework, really short but important, from that video. Hooray! Today, I am going to talk about step two, the next step in the Catholic Homeschool Blueprint. And it all begins with a question, one that is most challenging to answer every single year. How do I find a curriculum that's the best fit for my family? I was just like you. I can clearly remember going to my very first homeschool conference. I was listening to all the amazing speakers giving sage advice. Like when I heard Kimberly Hahn speak on how to fail at homeschooling. Of course, it was a tongue-in-cheek, but that was way back in the year 2000. I purchased a copy of that talk, and yes, back then they were in cassette, and it sustained me all throughout the years of my homeschooling. There were many other great uh, speakers. I purchased their talks to re-listen, to give me the energy. Perhaps some of you have done that with our conferences too, bought some of those recordings, or saw them on our YouTube. In my attempt to get the best curriculum for my family, I went to all the booths, scoured the books, flipped the pages, and came home with nothing. I was seriously overwhelmed. Yes, I had nothing in my bag after that conference. You know, this homeschooling thing I said yes to, that's a huge responsibility. I couldn't take it lightly. You were most likely going through the same things, the same questions I did. You know, how do I find what's best for my children? How do I begin? How do I pin down what they need? And how will I know if this really works for my family? Let's face it, most of the curriculum 
Many of the programs that are currently available use materials that are clearly designed for a classroom with a trained teacher. And at best, these have just been tweaked a little for the homeschooler. You want to know how to find the absolute best fit for your children, whether they're little ones or high schools. What I've learned after 25 years of homeschooling, consulting one-on-one with hundreds of homeschooling families, is that you have to set your life first, then you layer in the school. I'll see you in the next video, and may God bless you abundantly. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.